Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the greatest games on the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller. With me is Jonathan Wilson. And with us is Leon Mann, interviewer, consultant, filmmaker, founder of BCOMs and the Football Blacklist. And you might remember him presenting on BBC Sport and ITV Sport as well. Leon, pleasure to have you on the podcast. Amazing to be here. Thanks so much for the invite. And I hope people do remember. Um, it's a little while ago that I was on TV. I, I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to that. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, great to be here. I, I certainly remember well. Um, today we go back to the uh, the FA Cup semi-final between uh, Arsenal and Tottenham Hotspur at Wembley in uh, the, the spring of 1991. That course finished uh, Spurs Three Arsenal. One. Why have you chosen this game, Leon? Well, I'm going to give my age away here because I was um, ten years old at the time, and um, when I was asked, you know, what game would you like to look back at? I mean, there's there's loads of games I've been at, fantastic games um, that that I've had, you know, real strong emotions around for lots of different reasons. But actually, this is the game I think that made me fall fall in love with football if that's not too cheesy um <laughs> but certainly form a special relationship with it and also um just the dynamics between Tottenham and Arsenal and the supporter base of Tottenham and Arsenal at that time um what was going on in the the school playground around who would you support Tottenham or Arsenal as a North Londoner and the race dynamics around that which I thought were really interesting looking back at it now um I was also as a 10-year-old kicking a ball around ball courts at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. So had an insider's view as a 10-year-old in terms of what was going on in and around the club with Gazza's antics and uh, <laughs> Vinnie Samways when he was having his time off, sitting with the guy who used to um, look after the car park at Tottenham Hotspur and things like that. So um, so I thought it would be a, a, a good game to, to look back on. Mm. Uh, Jonathan, I think it's the first semi-final to be played at Wembley Stadium in the FA Cup. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I think this is something that I, I'm just—I'm a little bit older than, than, well, a lot older than you, a little bit older than Leon, and so I remember when the FA Cup semi-finals weren't even on telly, mm. and and that ended with with Hillsborough. Well, you know, one of the consequences of Hillsborough was was a decision made that games would be would be screened live to try and discourage. Uh, fans without tickets from going to games. Not that that was a contributing factor to Hillsborough, but you know you can see why they they realised that could be a could be a problem. So in in nineteen ninety, we'd had two of the greatest games of football ever played on the, as the semi finals with with Crystal Palace beating Liverpool four three, and then Manchester United drawing three three with with Oldham, and that you know just the difference in in sort of football culture in that they were really worried. Would people be able to watch two games in the same day? And they stuck on the East Enders omnibus in between those two matches. So this game is, you know, then the following year, we've now got that pattern of, of both the semi-finals being screened live on the Sunday. But yes, because this is a you know a North London derby, they decided Wembley was the most appropriate location for it. Mm-hmm. So it was the first semi-final played at Wembley, and I think Paul Stewart sort of said it didn't feel right. It felt this sort was of slightly devalued the final by by doing that. But obviously, you know, in, in terms of a big stadium who get in as many fans as possible and the location from from, from a logistical point of view it, it did make sense yeah well in in the, in the two seasons previous to the 1990-91 season arsenal of course had famously won the league at anfield in in 1989 first spurs finished 6 that season uh, in 89-90 they were much closer spurs finished 3rd one point above arsenal in 4th and of course this season arsenal would be quite imperious in the league they they won the title they only lost one game 
how was the lie of the land? You know, at the moment, it's a bit of an interesting one. Spurs fans will certainly argue that they are the better side in North London, and I've no doubt you're one of them, Leon. And Arsenal fans will still perhaps cling to what are now former glories and say, well, come on. I mean, growing up in the 90s, I did. And and then it, once you get into the noughties, you know, Arsenal were the dominant side in North London. Did it feel like that at the time? Because Arsenal under George Graham, they sort of became the Arsenal that perhaps we... No, or certainly new in the 90s and the noughties. Yeah, I mean, it was a weird dynamic at the time because, um, you know, I remember I, 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 was, I grew up on Green Lanes, Haringey, for anyone who knows their London <laughs> um, geography, and um, it's not very far from um, Highbury. So when Arsenal would score, I could hear it in my house. Um, so you can imagine as a Tottenham Hotspur fan being sat there and hearing all this success <laughs> Um, emanating from exactly (laughs) taunting me from from Highbury and um, you know the night that they won that title famously Anfield you know the roads around where I was growing up it was just horns beeping flags people out in the streets it was nuts so I, I kind of sometimes wonder how I became a Tottenham fan because of that because you know Tottenham were, were were a good team for you know for sure finishing third in the league I think in it was eighty nine mm-hmm. I think it was around that time that we finished yeah, yeah, third yeah. in the league um, and you know we we had the stars you know to have Gaza and to have Lineker and before that have Waddle and before that it was Hoddle you know there's always been a good reason to turn up to White Hart Lane to watch a game you know just watching those incredible gifted players um, alone was a, a big reason for that but. Um, in terms of my personal experience, you know, Arsenal were winning loads of games. Or the playground, as you can imagine, there were lots of Arsenal shirts, not so many um, Tottenham shirts. <laughs> um, and I had this added dynamic, which is one of the reasons why I chose this game, is, um, you know, being a, a young black guy going to school, a very kind of multicultural school, um, I'd get asked a question by lots of my friends. So why do you support Tottenham? All the black players play for Arsenal. <laughs> because they had the Campbells, the Paul Davis, you know, the Rowcastles, and then obviously went on later on to have the Ian Wrights, Thierry Henrys, etc. So even walking to games with my dad through the, the, the park, Bruce Castle Park, I would be like it felt like the black kid in the, the Tottenham shirt, surrounded by black kids in Tottenham, all in Arsenal shirts with names on the back or numbers on the back um, representative of those black players, those black role models. Um, and I used to make a strong case to say, no, Tottenham have got Vinny Samways. He, he, he looks like he could be black. <laughs> so it was kind of like this real strange dynamic. But yeah. because my dad was a Tottenham fan, obviously, you know, that that's passed down in, in the family. And, um, and, and that was important for me to... To, mm-hmm. to to support Spurs as well but it, it felt in the playground and that's mm-hmm. kind of what I lived day to day like I was in the minority and um, like I should probably be supporting Arsenal for different reasons which I couldn't get my head around as a 10 year old but obviously it was quite apparent why um, and Tottenham were winning games but not as many as Arsenal. That is quite fascinating actually, because you go to White Hart Lane now or any time in the kind of the last sort of 10 years or 15 years so so different yeah but I mean it is slightly uh, this particular slice of time because I mean Tottenham had had black players I mean they had Mitchell Thomas they had Garth Crooks it it Uh wasn't it wasn't like 
an Everton or a Blackburn situation where there was no black players for a long, mm. long time. I think it's, it's it's something slightly unusual about this particular generation of of Tottenham. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd I'd look back and yeah, see the, you know, Danny Thomas as well was another black player. But again, that was before my my time when I was truly kind of following football. But yeah, Mitchell Thomas. I mean, you know, I, I see Mitchell. Thomas out out and about now, so I'll be careful what I have to say. But um, <laughs> maybe wasn't the best best player that has ever played for Tottenham Hotspur. Sure. Um, but certainly, you know, couldn't ever say the guy didn't try very hard. Um, but when you looked across at you know what was happening, I mean, you know, to have a player like um, David Rocastle and you know Paul Davis, and it was it was just. It, it was it was more than just the players on the pitch. It was like Arsenal would go into the community. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, Tottenham Hotspur didn't really do that, not in the same way. They're mm-hmm. excellent at it now, as are Arsenal. But Arsenal were really getting into the community um, in their kind of um, under-23s or reserves, as it was known. Um, in the youth teams, you'd see numbers of black players there. It kind of felt like the club had a relationship with their mm-hmm. black community. And Tottenham sat in the middle of a a you know incredible black community just didn't have those relationships if you looked at the teams the youth teams and as a kid I was really geeky about it I would look through I, I'd know all the schools the under 16s under 18s I, I was just obsessed with it all I really was um, and even going to kind of you know like I say kick a ball around in the ball courts as a 10 year old um, at Spurs um, you'd look around and you just you just wouldn't get that sense of a club that was truly mm-hmm. diverse or interested in mm-hmm. engaging well, repre- with its local representative community. of its area, perhaps you know. Absolutely. And, and to chuck another name, Arsenal. I mean, of course, the hero of that famous title win at Anfield was Michael Thomas. You know, so it only oh. kind of adds yeah. uh, to that as well. Um, but the, the, looking at the the management of both sides, Jonathan Terry Venables and George Graham, quite sort of differing um, styles, you could say. I mean, Venables though, not that long previously it was at Barcelona in, in the European Cup final so they had real pedigree in their in their coach yeah I mean it's I mean I guess this goes back to what we were talking about with uh, with Rod, Rod Draper about the use of the offside trap but, but the the other thing that interests me here is you know I looked at the team sheet it took me a little while to work out what formation they played but they, they played yeah, 4 5 yeah. one. And that seems such an odd thing. But I, 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 I knew they played a 4-5-1 in, in 87 when they got to the cup final. And I, I remember, um, I can't remember which year it was, but I was coming back from the Europa League final and I was I was at Heathrow, I was late at night, almost deserted. And there's basically me and David Pleat are the only two people waiting for luggage. And David Pleat collars me and goes, yeah, in your book, you talked about Everton pining the mid- midfield five. What about me? What? <laughs> and he, you know, he goes on about how he pioneers, and obviously, you know, it carries over here. And and um, I guess that's what allows allowed Tottenham to play Gascoigne in quite a free role. Uh, that they had Samways and Allen wide, and then they had um, Howells and, and Paul Stewart as sort of more Howells sitting deep, and, and Stewart as a more sort of up and down midfielder. And obviously, later became a, a centre forward. You went know, by the time he was at Manchester City and then Sunderland, yeah, he, he was a, a number nine. Um, but that 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 same shape of having the very deep lying central midfielder, which allows this sort of fluidity ahead of them, I, I guess that was sort of was it you know David Pleat introduced that at Tottenham and Terry Venables carried that on, and then on the other side, of course, you have George Graham and the very rigid four four two. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the styles in this game, we'll, we'll talk about the, the, the game perhaps after the break, but the, the, the styles are all there to see in this one match in particular. But it is funny, though, um, Leon, because I remember this Spurs side very fondly. I mean, Lineker and Gascoigne are footballing royalty in this country, of course, but they only finished 10th in the league this year. Of course, they went on to win the FA Cup, so it'll be, it'll be re- uh, well remembered. But do you think... It, it, this this Spurs side would would I be right in saying for for someone you know of of, of, uh, of your generation would this be one of the sides that you would remember the most fondly perhaps? Yeah, I mean maybe it was just because of Gaza alone, you know, and and of course you know Lineker just having having those two, you know, off the back of um, Italia ninety, you know, it, it, it was just magic mm-hmm. <laughs> for as as a as a 10 year old to have watched that tournament and everything that happened within that and then know that the two stellar players um coming back from that are coming back to you week in week out was just absolutely sensational but you know i think um um at that time i mean our left back was pat pat vanden how i mean probably mm. the most violent i don't, I don't want to get into trouble here he's probably <laughs> little, right? but w- one of the most violent left backs i've seen in my life i mean and some of the tackles that i saw um were incredible over the years i mean i think my dad was putting his hand over my eyes yeah. at different <laughs> and this times. was when Stuart pierce was knocking around as well, well we should say. <laughs> oh exactly i mean you know you had some real kind of hard players uh, around that time i mean paul stewart you know um because, you know, it started off for him at Spurs when he was like um, playing up front. He was playing as a striker. It just wasn't quite happening. He was like a target man. Um, and then he kind of got moved back into this kind of midfield role that he kind of, you know, went on to, to play particularly well for us. I know it didn't work out well when he went on to Liverpool afterwards um, or not as well as it should have done, maybe. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it is a little bit of a mystery why this team didn't do better than it should have done. I mean, I guess there's question marks maybe on um, the the quality of the defence when you look at the defence of um, some of the other clubs around that time. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think Gary... that, that is the issue, isn't it? It's that back mm. four. I mean, I think Van den Howen are playing on the right in, in this game and Justin Edinburgh played on the left. So the, when you have to make shifts like that, it doesn't work. And Okay, you've got, you've got Gary Mabbott there, but obviously uh, getting towards the end of his of his career... And Sedgley alongside him, uh, you know, a decent player, but not, you know, certainly not the equivalent of Richard Goff, who'd played in the 87 final. So, yeah, I, I think you look at the front of the team and think, yes, that's that's brilliant. You look at the back of the team and think, ah, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I think you're, you're spot on. And, um, you know, I mean, there's players in there, like Vinnie Samways, for example, used to get a lot of stick from the, the Tottenham fans. Um, I think he was just before his time. You know, such a neat and tidy lovely technical player um but they called him Vinny sideways i think some of the fans <laughs> or some of the um the fans that sat near me shall we say who were quite vocal um but i used to love watching him play because of just the way that he could control the ball take the ball his movement a thinking player i mean he went on to play in spain i think didn't he so um um and and did pretty well out there so um you know that's no surprise to me i just think there are some players i remember of that time who were just before the time of the premier league and where it kind of moved to in years to come and um yeah like yeah i i just you know circled gaza and lineker on this little piece of paper i've got here and um, of course naeem off the bench was was a, a nice player to watch as well but um there was a magic about this team and and of course that cup run you know because there was some real 
standout games, a game at Portsmouth that um, Gaza was absolutely incredible in. And then we started our cup run in a gale up at Blackpool that year. So it was like the windiest game of football I think I've ever seen or match of the day. It was just like literally blowing a gale. I don't know how they managed to play football in that. The Notts County game that I was at, um, that they kind of managed to to, to 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 progress through, which I think Gaza had a particularly good game. Um, there, there was a lot going on. You know, it's, it's always easy to look back and say there was a lot of magic going on that year because we went on to win it. Um, there's been a lot of magic and we've not got past the semi-final in the past. So, um, <laughs> But know, I think you're particularly right about Gaza. I mean, Gaza, you know, we sort of, in the end, we, we remember this cup run for the way it ended mm-hmm. and, and the, the terrible consequences that had for his career. Uh, but he he was a top scorer in the competition. He scored six goals this season. And it, yeah, I, I think the, the Portsmouth game, I think there's a famous goal he scores against Oxford in this run as well. The, if you, if you, the, the sort of standard sort of compilations of Gaza highlights a lot of them are from this cup run. Yeah, no, and um, yeah, yeah, it was it was just all about Gaza. It was all about just this free spirit um, of a footballer who just could do stuff that others just could only dream of doing. So it was any time he had the ball, bums off seats, you know, what's going to happen now? And then to have someone like Lineker in front of him, um, was really really special and um, yeah we, 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 I, yeah I say we were spoiled. You, you, sometimes you find yourself watching games and think, "Geez, I really have been spoiled over the years." Some of the the dross I'm watching right now. <laughs> yeah, can I just say as a Sunderland fan, I don't feel that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, no, yeah. Uh, uh, this, this this yeah. It, it was it was just a special time um, mm-hmm. um, for for Tottenham and and look, you know. In terms of what's gone on since then, you know, um, we haven't won, we haven't won much. I think what is it, a, a, a league cup or or two? I've been to a lot of finals, but I haven't been happy off the back of them. So, uh, uh-huh. so yeah, and certainly a lot of semi-finals in that time as well. Sure. Well, we'll uh, have a quick break, uh, refresh ourselves, and then uh, we'll talk about the match itself. See you in a moment, everybody. Welcome back to the greatest games on the Blizzard. Um, so, uh, gentlemen, we, we get to uh, the semi-final itself at Wembley Stadium. And going into this match, Jonathan, I mean, you would surely have Arsenal down as favourites, just the way they were playing in the league. You mentioned the Tottenham back line not being the best. I mean, this is the classic or a classic uh, uh, Arsenal back line with Dixon, Adams, Bold, Winterburn, Seaman behind them. You know, I understand Spurs had an attacking threat as well, but but Arsenal had quality all over the pitch. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's one of those classic cup matchups. You have the inconsistent, brilliant team on the one hand, and the absolutely relentless, grinding machine on the other. You know, this machine, is, as you said, only lost one game all season in the league. But you did think maybe in a cup game, given how well they've played, okay, not necessarily against the highest level of opposition in the previous rounds. And, and that sense that Gaza on his day, Lineker on his day, could could win any game. So I think it was one of those games where yes, there was a, an obvious favourite, but you could equally see ways in which the 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 underdog could win the game. Yeah, were you, were you concerned going into this one, Leon, or were you just really pumped for the game? No, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, I was I was I was so young at the time. I was just you know buzzing to be going to Wembley mm-hmm. to watch my team it was just huge so was this your first time at Wembley 
Yeah, that would have been my first game at Wembley. For, so for you had that whole time. thing of walking from Wembley Park, going down Wembley Way, mm. seeing the Twin Towers, that, that whole kind of, the whole cliche, but it is, it is brilliant the first time you do it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, don't, don't get me wrong now, I can't stand that cold walk from the station <laughs> up to Wembley and certainly coming back when you lost and standing in the queues and stuff. But at that time, it was absolutely magical. The Twin Towers, I mean, it still was. to this day, um, oh, I, I, I do think those Twin Towers are so special and yeah and, and do just, you know what was in just, them do you, do you know what they contained no 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 so it's... one of them was a generator for the stadium this is well, just before they knocked them down I, I went and did a piece on this so one of the yeah one of them was a generator for the stadium the other one it was just a storeroom where they kept all the flags they'd ever flown at Wembley and that pride of place was a North Korean flag which had never been used because for the 1966 World Cup there was a whole political drama around it because North Korea was still not officially recognised by the British government so for the 66 World Cup, they only had um, anthems and flag ceremonies for the opening game and the final, and they didn't do it for any games in between, so they didn't have to show a Korean flag or play the oh, Korean right. national anthem. So they had the North Korean flag ready, but they never used it. How about oh, that? My word. Right, okay. Oh, I, th- I, th- I, th- I just assumed you were going to say one of them was used by Jimmy Hill as an office or something. <laughs> 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 no, it, it was incredibly disappointing because I'd sort of gone thinking there was going to be some something amazing in there and it's it's a dusty store room full of wicked <laughs> baskets fair, and I a generator. The, I think the flags are quite interesting. I think there's a, there's a story behind that. I think that's... I, I, look, I got 800 words out of it, put it that way. <laughs> there we go, you see. Yeah, there we are. And that's, that, that's the main thing. Um, I mean, yeah, my first game at Wembley was uh, England beating, I think, the Czech Republic 2-0 in a routine friendly. So this was... Uh, for a first game, especially oh, as you're a Tottenham fan, Leon, this was, this was quite oh, something. And yeah. straight from the off in this game, Spurs fly out the traps. Yeah, it was just sensational, just so so good, because as you as you say, turning up to that game, you're thinking, "All oh, right, what's going to happen here? This could be really grim," because Arsenal, this relentless machine, all the kind of um, I was going to say banter, but it wasn't really. <laughs> I guess it was ch- child child banter, whatever you want to call it, kind of um, bullying borderline um, about how crap your team is and how great their team is and can't wait to see you at school on Monday and you know and people were stunned that I was going to the game because it wasn't you know it's a normal comprehensive school and a lot of people just weren't able to to go to games or there weren't structures in place necessarily within families for people to be going to games with their mums or dads or however it was so you know it kind of felt like I was like the only kid at the school going to this 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 game because you know my dad big football fan um there was no way he wasn't gonna be going to that game and it was a big part of our relationship going to games we still go to games now or well used to hopefully we'll go again um in the next season but I mean um so so going to the going to Wembley was massive Having this kind of Tottenham flag, which you know, mm-hmm. poke every person's eye out on the way to the game, I think, <laughs> um, and getting in there, hearing the noise, this kind of amazing noise, and just seeing happy Tottenham fans. Um, that's one thing about a final, because you know, sometimes when your team is inconsistent, you can turn up and people are getting ready for a bit of a moan fest before a ball's been kicked, right? Mm-hmm. Because just the atmosphere around the club at times, etc. Um, but everybody. Is, was just really positive, you know, and despite this huge challenge, I think everyone knew that, look, it's a derby, anything can happen, it's a one-off game, and we've got Gaza, 
and we've got Lineker, so anything can happen. And then, of course, you know, within the first five minutes, it was just... And and I remember it all really clearly because I was obviously very excited. I'm standing on my seat and everyone's standing around me. Um, And there's a guy who's like... It was quite a warm day. And there was a guy who clearly had come to the game on his bike, his motorbike. So he's kind of head to toe in these kind of leathers and sweating away. And he's just next to us. And I just looking at him, kind of trying to work out like what's going on here kind of thing. And um, we got the free kick. And being very excited... I I jumped up on my chair and went, Dad, Dad, he's he's gonna shoot, he's gonna shoot. And my dad went, calm down. It's almost like you know, football knowledge wise, look, mm. don't be silly. He ain't shooting from there. And he said, he ain't shooting from there. Down, and <laughs> pulled me down. Went, okay, <laughs> right, okay. And then we all know what happened next. Yeah. It was well, even even Barry Davis on commentary, you know, he's, he's uh, guess one of one of the great crack. bits of commentary. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just. It, it was cra- and Seaman, yeah. you know, like David Seaman then was just how do we beat this guy? You know, it's almost like that Schmeichel kind of thing of mm. he's going to save everything. You know, this guy he saves everything. So to see him hit the top corner, um, in that way, and and I know that Seaman got something on it, mm-hmm. but you know, but he hit so hard. Seaman? I don't think that. I mean, Seaman then go makes a mistake later on, but this yeah. I don't think is a mistake. I think it's just hit so so cleanly, so. So hard, but yeah, that, I mean that, that that Barry Davis commentary, the whole the whole bit, the yeah, you know, is Gaskin going to have a crack? He is, you know, and then the oh, and then yeah. the oh, I say, yeah, oh, I say, yeah, schoolboy's oh. own stuff, yeah, oh, just it was it was just magic, and and I'm I'm pretty sure because of Arsenal winning all those games, and I won't do myself any favors here, but in the way that they were winning those games. <laughs> Um, I'm sure lots of people who weren't Tottenham fans were jumping up and down at home um, or certainly leaning forward into it with a smile, um, given the way that it had all unfolded. Oh, and people just wanted Gaza to do well. Gaza was such yeah. a bubbly, engaging personality, and particularly with you know the World Cup only the year earlier. I th- people wanted to, to watch Gaza. He was a th- you know, just somebody you, you your eye was immediately drawn to. I mean, I remember... Um, I mean, I, these are still. This is still the days when I went to church, and I just got in from church. Literally, turned on the telly to watch Gaza take the run up, and I, I remember very clearly, kind of the thought going through my head of, "What's he doing? Too far out? It's stupid." Because he is, yeah. You know, sometimes, sometimes the memory sort of expands these things, but he genuinely is thirty-five yards out. Mm. It's, oh, not, it's not an exaggeration. He's, yeah, you know, he's twice as far. You can put two penalty areas there to get to the goal. I'm glad you said. I'm glad you said about church there because I'm pretty sure I missed this game because I was at church as well or sort of something or coming back or something. Yeah, interesting. Um, but I mean, that first sort of five minutes and then, of course, you know, f- five minutes later, um, Spurs, you know, another beautiful movie. I mean, that, that uh, it was such scintillating stuff, Leon, that first 10 minutes. It was incredible. And Gascoigne was involved. He just seemed to be involved in everything. And what I think we loved about Gaza when he was in his peak was when he got to the finals or the semi-final, as it was in this case, when he got to the big stage, some players are looking around and thinking, right, okay, head on, focus. Other players maybe shrink a little bit. Some kind of, all right, let's play our way into the game. Gazza, it was like, yep, this. it was like a, it was like a kid. Uh, you see the playground and just runs towards it. That's where I'm meant to be. I can't believe his luck that he's there. With absolutely, such youthful and- exuberance he played with. Absolutely, and I think when you look back at the the television footage of them coming out the tunnel, 
he actually just looks straight down the lens and does one of his faces as yeah. he's you know one of these kind of childlike I'm on TV kind of faces um and you're thinking oh my gosh this 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 young guy has no fear at all mm. it's it's that it's that that real magical period we saw it with Rooney when Rooney broke onto the scene it's just yeah. like I could do anything like, Rooney had more of a scowl rather than a smile though I think was that. <laughs> <laughs> No, but you're right. It's yeah, that same thing of like you know, the bigger the stage, the more inspired he is. Yeah. That that yeah. The the, the is it, I think certainly with Rooney, there's a sense he almost needed the stage to get the mm. absolute maximum out of him. Gaza was such a sort of random sort of figure that sometimes <laughs> he'd be inspired, sometimes he wouldn't. And you know, you could see in the final that it, you know it went too far. But here, um, and yeah, the. The second goal is a little bit annoying in that it ends up just being stabbed over the line. But the move mean. to get yeah the the interaction between Gascoigne and uh, Stewart to get it out to, to Paul Allen and then the cross, all of that is so slick and so mm-hmm. clever and so smart and so incisive. And then I think it's Alan Smith who ends up blocking the cross and it's just poked over the line. Yeah, the Alan classic Lineker right scuffing in from three yards. But the movement to, to get to the position to make the cross is 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 brilliant. Mm. Oh yeah, it was, it was lovely kind of little one-two play, and and Gaza obviously is central to all of that. And um, for me, you know, I mean, you know, the old Wembley, and say the the new Wembley. When you're watching a game from the stands, you you don't see much apart from the celebration at times. So actually, just to see those two arms go up in that kind of tr- trademark Lineker kind of celebration, um, I just can I just can't believe it. I was like two nil, two. Yeah. This is. The best. This, you know, you know. There's sometimes it happens at football matches. Of course, it does. Just the magic happens. It's just like everything is going right. Everything's going our way, and it doesn't make much sense because it's not really meant to play out like this. But everything's going our way, and it just felt like right. This is this is our game. We we we're going to push on here. We're playing well. We're confident. Um, and then of course they go and get one back before half time, mm. <laughs> which is like, oh right, okay. Maybe maybe this is definitely a Tottenham game in terms of <laughs> we might be disappointed here. Let's let's see how this plays out. And again, um, it's such a classic Arsenal goal. You sort of if, if you'd if you'd said before the game, describe the goal you think Arsenal might score against this defence. It it is Lee Dixon whipping it in Lee Dixon in loads of space for some reason. No, nobody's got anywhere near him. He's giving him time to measure the cross, putting in a really good ball, and then Alan Smith just being bigger and taller and stronger and better in the air than than uh, I think it was Steve Sedgley got above, and then that that yeah perfectly placed headed back across goal, um, and and so you know I guess the fact that it's such a characteristic goal of oh no this is exactly what. What yeah, we thought yes. might happen. Yeah, no, no, exactly, and 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 certainly that that set off the 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 doom and gloom um, clientele around us, um, scaremonger. Oh, here we go again. But and and it was, and it was so positive up mm-hmm. until that point. Um, but but yeah, you, you kind of were fearing for the worst in some ways. But actually, because we've been playing so well. Um, you know, the majority of fans were like, "No, look, look what we're look what we're doing here. We're playing football. We've been great all of this campaign, and um, you know, let's see what happens in the second half." And yeah. um, in in many ways, it's that oh, you know, when when you win a game five nil, yes, it's amazing. It feels feels great, but actually, that roller coaster of emotions when you come out the back of it and you've won, 
there is something about that that kind of gets you coming back again. Like, yeah, well, no Hollywood film it all goes well. There's got to be an element of jeopardy. You know what <laughs> oh, I mean? There's got yeah. to be an element of doubt of, oh, hang on, we might not have exactly. this. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And 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 knowing our defence, knowing the way that we were wanting to push forward and play football, and knowing that they had been just so reliable and relentless, um, it just set up that second half um, mm-hmm. perfectly. And um, yeah, you know. Thankfully, it ended how it ended. Um, <laughs> well, Arsenal us. were pushing, of course, mm. Jonathan. I mean, Nigel Winterburn burst through in the, in the second half and sort of flicked over. Uh, he was kind of a full stretch. I wouldn't say it was a, a dreadful miss or anything, but it just went over the bar. But they were pushing for an equaliser for Arsenal, which was, would, of course, leave space up the other end. Yes, and it's you know, it's, a, it's a classic breakaway. And again, you, it's it's sort of... It's elevated by a classic bit of Barry Davis commentary that <laughs> Gary Mabbott wins the ball. And you see there the class of Mabbott that he he doesn't just belt it forward. He takes his time. He measures the pass. Lineker makes the run. Well, Lineker's in his own half. Lineker, yeah, just inside his own half when he yeah. gets it. Yeah, Makes the run. And uh, Vinny Samways you know, makes a decoy run ahead of him. And Lineker uses him by not using him. Mm. To, yeah, Barry Davis's brilliant <laughs> phrase. And then... then yeah, sort of a, a right-footed shot that really shouldn't go in, but somehow squeezes through David Seaman's hands and, and he just sort of parries it just inside the post. But I, I think the whole... It, you know, it's a Samway's run and Lineker's intelligence in in you know just keeping going, which which sort of offsets everything. I, 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 I would assume David Seaman found his position wasn't quite right because of that and was having to reset, and that's why he... Yeah, if you if you want to find a technical a technical explanation for that, I assume that's what it would be. But you know, I I know that David Seaman was very unhappy with that and blamed himself. Uh, but it is brilliance from from Lineker and Samways and Mabbott as well. Yeah, yeah. and that was, that was sorry, yeah, Leo. Sorry, Mark, because I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, being in the stadium at the time, you didn't get a sense that Seaman had made the mistake that he'd made. It's only when you went home and you, you watched it. So it felt like, oh, well, my word, we re- it really is our day in terms of Lineker goes it goes across it, it finds that bottom corner against Seaman. You know, it was just like this. This is this is just meant to be our day. And looking back at the footage, I mean, you know, I don't think Vinny Samways gets the credit he deserves actually because he kind of you know he makes that space with that run. He could have easily have just kind of been static there and that space wouldn't have existed. And then Lineker going past Tony Adams, you know, is is every Spurs fan's dream. <laughs> That's the the dream scenario. And um, you know, um, yeah, I mean, David Seaman, nicest man in the world. From my interactions with him, uh, um, obviously, I, I wasn't too worried that he didn't have a good game that day. Um, <laughs> but um, but it, it was, was surprising it was though, because again, you, people might think, oh, well, David Seaman, you know, he did have a bit of a rick in him. It's very unfair. You know, he was a top quality keeper. But Arsenal, they only lost one game in the league, as I mentioned earlier, but they only conceded 18 goals in 38 league games. This is not a side that would concede three goals in a game, Jonathan. You know, this was quite rare to see Arsenal being, well, I suppose you could say taken apart like this. Yeah, it, it, it all goes back to Gascon's brilliance for the first goal. That, that obviously had set in place the dynamic of the game. But yeah, this is the the classic back four, the the, the Dixon Winterburn Bold Adams back four. At, at at the absolute height of its powers, uh, I guess what you would say is that Lineker's pace, which okay, he's he's maybe started to lose the absolute lightning pace he had, say in in eighty six, 
but his pace and and more importantly the intelligence of his runs are the exact thing to exploit the space behind mm-hmm. a back four that pushes up, uh, or as you see here, just to run at them and to to know not to release the ball. Uh, that I I don't I mean I guess you can maybe say that uh, somebody in in Arsenal's midfield should have got to him quicker. So uh, whether that would have been Thomas or Davis, somebody should have closed him down. But once they haven't, I'm not sure the defending is was actually that much wrong with it. And and it's just yeah you, they have to follow Samways and that does create the space. And Adams gets a bit flat footed, and so then he can can create the space for the shot past him. Yeah, Liam, we should also mention at the other end, we're talking about David Seaman, big Eric Torsvet. Oh, had a yeah. good game himself, you know, made some important saves and, and important blocks, and he was a huge presence in the Tottenham goal. Yeah, no, Eric Eric the Viking um, <laughs> was, um, was yeah. just again, just it just feels like that team had loads of characters, um, had loads of characters across the team, and, you know, everyone had a, a real strong identity with the supporters. You know, everyone kind of had this affection towards every single one of these players down here, albeit having a, a slightly different emotion at times to Vinnie Samways because of an understanding of football that I think was just different, what people were used to. This is what we expect from a midfielder. It's not about lots of intricate little passes here and there. It's about get it forward. You know, even with this traditional Spurs playing good football, you know, I think there were frustrations with with Samways, but I mean, but see, very... I think that's really interesting because it, the, the the podcast we did with Rob Draper, and and that we were talking about um, a game between Watford and QPR in in eighty two, when you had Venables on you know, managing QPR and you had Graham Taylor managing Watford, and these saw two opposing schools of English football, and but Venables's football was um, very possession based. It was very continental. It was very different, and that that I guess is why he's able to take on this four five one shape. And it was based on, on sort of non-traditional virtues, and so you know, I, I think it is, it is really interesting that you get this. You know, this is another one of those meetings between the the, the traditional four four two manager in George Graham, and the the more forward thinking, more continental Venables on the other side, and for fans, I guess particularly because. The culture of football is very different then. The level of, of punditry in terms of the detail of analysis on TV and in the papers was was very different to what we have now. I guess fans wouldn't necessarily grasp what was going on. They would see Samways as being a little bit... Um, something a bit sterile in the way he played, something a bit over-cautious, over-conservative. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the feeling was he overplays. You know, why does he need all those touches? Oh, he's he's played the ball backwards again. You know, that was always a thing. I mean, imagine, um, you know, that supporter base watching the Manchester City with Yaya Torre, who play in that kind of defensive midfield role towards the back end of his career, where he's kind of playing, you know, hundreds of passes, it feels like, between the centre-backs and the full-backs and moving the ball around to be able to find the pass. I mean, I think that would be deeply frustrating to that audience at that time. And I'd compare Vinny Samways with Paul Allen, and Paul Allen's a lovely guy, works for the PFA, great guy. Um, and Paul Allen is just very direct, and that's what the expectation was. Paul gets the ball, he knocks it past. He's, he's a technical player, but he knocks it and he goes. Um, whereas Vinny would always kind of like look inside, where's the pass, where's the little one-twos? It wouldn't be push and run, it would be something very kind of different and very technical. Um, and I actually loved watching it at the time. I didn't really get the frustration of like, we've got the ball, what's the problem? You know, as long as we've got the ball, then we're okay. It's when we give the ball away, that's when I'm really concerned because these guys at the back, um, you know, they're trying their hardest, but they're, they're not of the level of the opposition's um, back line in the case of an Arsenal. 
um, if, if 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 we were up against it. Yeah. So I mean, um, not not to go down too much of a tactical uh, tributary, but of course George Graham had worked with Venables and credits Venables for teaching him how to play the offside trap. So there is a sort of there's almost a sort of it's not master and apprentice relationship, but the you know, Venables knows what he's doing because Venables has told him how to do it. So. Um, there, you know, there, there is that sort of you, you see these these two different strands of British football, but they they do cross and they do interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 one thing that that was notable to me in that season, um, and it, and it's a small thing, but kind of reflective of what players learned when they were abroad, is just the different way that Gary Lineker would warm up compared to the rest of the guys. Gary Lineker would come and just run without the ball. And people would be like, what's he, what's he doing? The rest would just come and lump balls about. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> almost Sunday league. It's what we kind of do in Sunday league. We kind of lo- lob the ball about, I guess, getting a touch and getting a feel for it. Getting, But he would actually have this routine that involved him coming out. And he, you just see him just running up and down the, 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 the center line there, just up and down, up and down, little sprints, little turns. And now we see, of course, Premier League teams all doing that together. It's a completely different way of, um, warming up but you know Gary Lineker in terms of how he conserved energy everything he did on the pitch just was so classy you know it's mm-hmm. almost like how he presents now there's <laughs> so much pre- preparation there's so much thought behind it um, and you could see that and I used you know as a kid I'd want to be there really early to watch all the warm-ups because I, I was fascinated by all of that that was just something which I was um, you know sometimes it was better than the match but um just the different ways that different players warmed up then of course they're not allowed to do it now but i think that was kind of you know again just talks to that point of the continental approach should we say um compared to you know what football was what british football english football was back then yeah no absolutely and of course spurs would go on and and beat nottingham forest in this final 2-1 but Looking at the scenes at the end of this game, Jonathan, it, it was almost like this was a final in itself. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, it's semi-finals are massive. Semi-finals against sure. your biggest rivals, particularly when those rivals are threatening to win a double, mm-hmm. are obviously that that much bigger. So, and at Wembley, and at Wembley, yeah. So, I I think there's always a danger when you have a big semi-final win that yeah. somehow that that takes the emotional energy out of you, and you can't then reproduce it in the final, and. You know the the final. I, th- I think, yeah, very easily could have gone the other way. But uh, you know they 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 did. Yeah, they did come back from behind in that game despite mm-hmm. losing Gaza, and despite missing the penalty, and they yeah, yeah they did win it. Yeah, that yeah. that 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 final, and and I won't talk too much about it. But I guess <laughs> um, there's a reason why I've chosen the final. And um, <laughs> well, we won that game, and it was brilliant that we that we'd won it, and just the experience of being at Wembley, just then to to now, just in terms of how unsafe it was actually at Wembley with these seats, these backless seats, and oh my goodness, you know yeah. all of that kind of stuff. And when there was a goal, everyone kind of as a kid, it was really scary. I mean, football generally, as a ten year old, nine year old, going to games, away games back then, and with Hillsborough, etc., it, it was really kind of. Mm. You know, there was something. Yeah, it, it was it was scary or magical. You know, it, it was it was it was football. Just then was just a real different different place. Um, the, as as a as a kid going there and watching the games, pulling yourself up to be able to watch the game at West Ham. <laughs> you know, if you, I was lifting up my mates to go and 
watch the game as well because you just could hardly see from how it was set up. QPR was another one which was terrible, like for kids. If you were down the front, and normally your dad would or your mum would send you down the front to watch the game, and they'd be towards the back of the terrace. Like literally, you're pulling yourself up, and then you've got this. You can just see their feet. You know that was that was football um, back then, but that <clears throat> that FA Cup final was just a completely different emotion throughout the game. Um, you know, there wasn't any real wonderful football from us um, that I can remember. I just remember just this sense of doggedness and being determined and against all odds. And we ruined Brian Clough's big day. You know, that yeah. was <laughs> ultimately the upshot of that. We ruined that day. And I was, um, my, my dad um, took me to the pub. I mean, I know he shouldn't. And if he's watching, sorry, dad, you didn't take me to the pub if anyone's watching. <laughs> but um, he, he, he knew the owner of a, a chain of, of pubs. And, um, you know, I was able to be hidden away in the corner in this pub. And he had the Nottingham Forest youth team were in there. So it was really interesting, this kind of dynamic in the pub afterwards in terms of the, not the youth team, I guess they were the reserves because they were old enough to be in there. But this kind of sense of, wow, you know, Brian Clough's missed out on this opportunity to to, to win the FA Cup. And well, not just win the FA Cup, because mm. I, I think there's a strong possibility had they won it, he'd have retired there and then. Because mm. that would have completed everything. He'd have won everything if he'd won that. And then again, you know, it happened the following year, didn't it, in 92, that he lost in the League Cup final to Manchester United. And that was another chance to go out at the at the top. And I mean, look, let's, let's not turn this into a... It's suddenly into a Clough, <laughs> might, Clough we're, podcast. We're, yeah. But, you know, it's, there's the end of 90 minutes in the final, Clough doesn't go and talk to the team. Now, there'd been a, there'd been a League Cup game back in the 70s against Spurs uh, when it had gone to extra time and Clough hadn't gone and... Sp- gone to speak to the team and at the time that was hailed as genius because uh, I guess far maybe Derby Derby probably went on to win the game I think it must have been Derby and so it was oh yeah Clough knew not to get involved here he just looked like a you know a sad old man who couldn't quite motivate himself but you know that's that's a different different story different podcast yeah. <laughs> very very different to the Tottenham bench uh, minutes before full time in fact I'd, I'd say quite a few minutes before full time in that semi-final where Gaz is leading the chant and it's all smiles <laughs> I think there's a well, careful lads you know Kevin Campbell smacking the crossbar you know Merson's <laughs> having a go and so on but it just seemed after that third goal that Arsenal scored uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Tottenham scored uh, with with Lineker, of course. Yeah, there were twelve minutes left, and Arsenal had a couple of efforts, but it was without a doubt Spurs's day, and it seemed to be Spurs's day straight from the kickoff, Leon. Yeah, no, I mean, just the memories of of that game and what came after it, of course, because we had Chaz and Dave. It's lucky for Spurs when the year ends in one. <laughs> there you um, go. Although I'm how's that sure how lucky here? it's been since then. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, yeah, we've got the League Cup final. Looping? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> got, the, got that League Cup final to come, which, um, yeah, the this, this, this small task of Manchester City. But, um, yeah, it, it, just everything about that. Saint and Greavesy on the TV. Just, mm. just all these kind of memories come back in terms of you know what what football was back then and what it represented and you know I touched on it before this kind of sense of Leon why do you support Spurs you should support the black team you know mm. and and that was just a real interesting dynamic mm. and um you know uh, I I I I think now I don't think that would exist I like to hope that 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 dynamic wouldn't exist I mean looking at yeah. the teams etc um I don't think there's any sense of black team or white team yeah. Um, 
in in terms of the um, the playgrounds. I mean, it just just would be impossible, right? Um, and then when I found out Bob Marley supported Tottenham, then I kind of made sure I text all my mates who used to tease me <laughs> uh, back in the day and and and, and set them straight. So uh, so so yeah, it was just a, a magical time, and that game, you know, just sticks out in my memory and always will. You know, it mm. it always will. I mean, even the magic against Ajax um, from Lucas Moura to get us to a Champions League final. While that will long remain in the memory you know of course we know we didn't go in to win it so maybe that's the reason why it will feel very different but um you know that that day at Wembley my first day at Wembley um that will um yeah that'll take some beating absolutely Leon it's been a pleasure talking to you about this one thanks very much for coming on the pod no thank you uh, for more stories like that do check out the blizzard.co.uk uh, but for myself and Jonathan this week thanks very much and we'll see you next time for another great game from the world of football see you then